You are listening to a Thanksgiving edition of Tech Talks with David Savage. And gobble gobble, Jack Pierce. Gobble gobble. Coming up on today's show, we have an American guest. Deidre is the uh, global uh, chief digital officer at Mediacom. Uh, and then we're going to have a piece of news that's quite close to home. So Jack, mm-hmm. let me ask you, the most iconic American musician? I mean, for me, and only me, it's Bruce Springsteen. The man did an album called Born in the USA. And it's so quintessentially American in that so many Americans misinterpreted it as a big patriotic song. Yeah, yeah. But in actual fact, it's about coming back from the Vietnam War with no job prospects. Yes, listeners won't know this, but the yeah. way that the show is put together, we're recording this after I've selected what's going to happen at the intro. And we're, we're just talking, we're, we're talking now as Born in the USA is just faded no. out in the background. Oh, I was like, is that like Jack, Jack will pick Bob Dylan or something. But no, no, not as an icon. I mean, I love Bob Dylan. You've gone for the boss. As a, the boss, I mean, I, I love I don't him. necessarily think he's the best American musician, but no, I think in terms no. of representing middle America, yeah, yeah. he has that thing about him, that aura, doesn't he? And just watch an interview with him. He's just a lovely bloke. <laughs> I saw a great, a, a great tweet the other day as well that said, be as encouraging in your life as Bruce Springsteen is at counting to four. So the way Bruce Springsteen live counts, one, two, three, four. So another question, in true Monty Python style, yeah. what have the Americans ever done for us? Yeah, man, I mean, I know you like to be controversial. I'm trying not to, yeah. to alienate an entire nation today. Very much, don't we have more US listeners as well at the moment? Uh, yeah, I think so. So what have they ever done for us other than prop up our show with their listenership? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, everything. I mean, they've given us some of the best TV, film, media. Uh, you're right. Look, I'm uh, a Brit, and I think yeah. that Faulty Towers is genius. But yes. I do think that Friends is probably the greatest sitcom of all time. Uh, that's wrong. That's, that's wrong. What? Seinfeld. Okay, no, because, no, I, I think Friends. Both American, though, see? Yeah, 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 yeah. What, what I love, though, right, apparently, um, it's now uncool to say that you like Friends. It really apparently. is, yeah, 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 yeah. Because uh, apparently... it's not sort of like woke anymore, is it, Friends? Yeah. It's a bit sort of... St- oh, no, and, and, and people are like, people are like, oh, that episode, uh, you, you could never say something. Yeah. Apparently there's, a, there's an episode uh, where Ross has a problem with a gay nanny. That's uh, right, And people yeah. have linked yeah. onto that yeah. and gone, isn't yeah. it terrible? But yeah. actually, at the end of the episode, Ross realises that he's incredibly in the wrong and whatever yeah. else. So it's like, come on, guys, and also, stop judging it so harshly. Plus, it was made in the 90s, and, and it's still relevant. And Ross and Joey share a platonic nap together. Yes. So, it's, also, it's also probably the best cast piece of television Oh, absolutely, ever. absolutely. I mean, uh, I love Friends to Pieces. I think anything with a laughter track feels dated now. I think, you know, even Adam yeah. Partridge with that laughter track in the Doesn't background. Have a, like, it was filmed in front of an audience, wasn't it, Friends? Yeah, I know, but there's still a laughter track, isn't right, it? Okay. It's not like, it was filmed in front of laughter, but it just has that feel. What, what I found hilarious about this article I was reading, though, is it said that Fred, now liking Friends is uncool. Yeah. Um, but apparently it's, it's trend to say that Frasier was much better. Um, <laughs> okay. Right, now I really like Frasier. Yeah. It, was a great, it was a great show. Best thing in it was a Brit. But, um, <laughs> just saying, yeah, all the yeah. Eddie. Um, but the article said that actually that's a load of rubbish because when you boil it down it's just two soft lads squabbling yeah. about wine 
Yeah, and women, <laughs> and objectifying women. I, I saw an episode of Fraser the other day, and the whole sole purpose was for Fraser and this other lady to go off on a, on a sex holiday. Oh, and dear. I was thinking, this doesn't seem very uh, half eight in the morning Channel 4 friendly, but hey, there we well, go. Well, of course, it was 10 o'clock in the evening Channel 4. Back in the day. When it was first yeah, on. Yeah. Anyway, um, look, American listeners, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, enjoy your turkeys. Exactly. Let's get stuck into this week's interview. It is... A US citizen, Deirdre, who is from the West Coast, now living on the East Coast, spent a number of years in London, and she's going to be telling us all about her role and Mediacom. So I'm uh, chatting to Deirdre. Thank you for giving up some time. You're the Chief Digital Officer at Mediacom. Yes, I am, and thanks for having me. This is going to be super fun. Well, it's quite fun that we're in a we're in the, the Red Frog Speakeasy. Exactly. Which is what it, it's rated as one of the best bars in Lisbon, although the only time that I came here was two years ago on a stag do, and I can't really remember, so I'm, I'm glad that it's better than I, I was kind of holding out for. It's living up to its promise. That first drink was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so how come you're over for Web Summit? I mean, I know you're speaking, but was it something that you would come to ordinarily anyway or because Absolutely. of the speaking? I think, it's a, I think it's an important conference. I think it's changed over the last few years from being almost pure tech and IT to including many more marketing tracks. Yep. Um, and I think also marketing has changed. Technology and marketing innovation are completely tied in. And I think all businesses are looking towards what's happening in the technology and hardware world, which is why CES is going to be interesting. Mm. But I think everyone's kind of looking towards that to see what's driving consumer change and to understand better how to market it. So you're speaking on the Panda stage tomorrow. Yep. Is it part of a panel or a, or a talk? It's a fireside chat with Tim Kobe from 8 Inc. Uh, they did the, well, they've worked with Apple on the Apple Store. So okay. we're going to kind of talk about the new, what does commerce look, in the modern, look, look like in the, commerce, in the modern day? And I think it's going to be really interesting because we met earlier today to prep and we were just violently agreeing with each other the whole way. So I think it should be a lot of fun. <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot of alpha and beta companies here. And, and the founders tend to be from a tech background. And it's really interesting because marketing is obviously really, really important to them. But they have no experience of it. So it must be really interesting for someone like you who works in a huge marketing organization and an and, and advertising organization to hear what their concerns are. It is really interesting. I think I would also liken it to MIT Media Labs. I don't know if you've ever worked with them. No, no. But they're all um, graduate students or they're all people who are have degrees, have had a professional life, and then are coming back in for a graduate program. Right. And it's really interesting because they are selected. It's a very exclusive thing to get into. They're selected and they create these products. But what they're always looking for is somebody in the business world to basically help them make it a reality. Because it's always going to be a partnership of the technology and the marketing or business need mm. that makes something succeed. It's very rare that something's built like 100% like sprung full forth out of someone's head mm. and is absolutely perfect for the world. And also, I mean, the, the market's become so diverse now, so many different channels that surely one person cannot be an expert on, well, this is what works in mainstream media and this is what works on this channel, this channel, this channel, this channel. Yeah. And then also you've got a lot of the alpha and beta companies are technology partners that do a slice of the ecosystem. Yeah. Not the entire ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing that I found really interesting recently was I, uh, on, on a podcast we had Refinery29. Yes, yeah, they're lovely. Um, and they were talking about the fact that they've been very successful on Snap, but equally they've got an older audience 
who are using more of the the web-based site and, the, and the content there. Also, their email. You know, they do some yeah. daily email as well. But as as, a, as an advertising agency. Sorry, I should check this. Would you describe MediaCom as a marketing firm or an advertising agency? Well, we're a, I would say we do marketing. We're technically a media agency, but right. we call ourselves a content and connections agency right. because we think in this new world to really do systems planning, to really think about a communication system. You have to have an opinion about the content as well as the communication touch point that you're putting it into because they all have to be different and they all yeah. have to be like, it has to be perfect for that connection. So when you're creating that content, how do you manage to create a campaign that feels authentic on Snap and authentic in an email, still has the client's tone of voice, but works? We don't do the, we don't do the creative, right. first off. We'll choose those. Let's say we've chosen those placements. Um, it's going to be on the web, yep. and it's going to be in Snap, and it's going to be in a, you know, in a third-party website. Yep. What we do do is advise our clients on whether or not the content's optimized for that particular platform. Yeah. So that's an area that we really have we have very strong opinion when it comes to optimized content, feed ready, story ready, programmatic ready. Yeah. Because it does have to be different. We receive a lot of content that's built for standard video, which is in a landscape format, very mm. typical for that to be placed in a feed. But as you know, in the mobile, feed is vertical. Yes. And so being able to help our clients uh, find a solution, find an optimized solution for that content is a big part of what we talk to our clients about. So as, as a CDO at Mediacom, I guess future gazing and, and, and kind of keeping the business ahead of the trends must be part of what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not, not easy. But um, on the flight out here, I bought the Wired magazine annual, rather, for like 2017, 2018. Yeah. And I thought it'd be quite funny to read, just to read all the articles about, this is what's going to happen in tech in 2018. Yeah. And you could just read... came through. Well, you know, <laughs> lots of the conversations, you could literally stick this year's date on and still have the same conversations. And one of them was AR. Yes. One of them was saying, 2018 is going to be the year of AR. It's going to take off. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like it has... But walking around Web Summit today, you go past the Google stand and they're going, their big push is on, on Google Lens. So what, what channels do you see as possibly having a big impact in the next, maybe not, not 12 months, but the next couple of years that will change the industry and change the way that we consume content? I think Snap's done an amazing job with AR um, and Facebook as well and Instagram. So their use of AR may be for us to blow rainbows out of our mouths or become dogs with twitchy ears. (laughs) But I have to say that facial recognition in the AR is amazing. And if you think about where we thought things would be with AR a couple of years ago, we want to imagine this level of fidelity, yeah. this level of facial tracking. So it's already here, and it's found a use that people love. But the use that I think that we all envisioned, that higher purpose use of overlaying content over the real world to help navigate, to be maps, to be doing all of these other things, well, it's not quite here yet. And it's not... I think what we've seen is that it's not exactly because the technology is not here, the connectivity is not here. Right. You cannot have, well, this is a big problem in VR and whether or not it's in your handset, in your headset, 
or in your computer with the tethered headset, you need the processing power to be able to process all of those polygons. In AR, you need the processing power in order to be able to overlay something in the real world and discreetly differentiate what's out there, which is quite a big unknown, versus what they can processing power that we need just isn't here yet, not in something that is small enough to fit in our pockets or in our hands. However, once 5G gets here and you have much more you, you truly ubiquitous, truly broad pipes, I think we're going to see a massive change. Now, you're from the West Coast. You're from San Francisco? Or? Yes, originally. Yeah. yeah. And you lived in London for how many years? 13 years. years. 13 years but moved back to New York two months ago. Uh, moved to New York two months ago, never lived there before. Ah, sorry, so you moved yeah. to New York two, yes. And I spent yes. two years in China as well. Cool. <laughs> so, you know London well, mm-hmm. but you're not there anymore. But I Everyone... feel like I'm there, I'm there every month. <laughs> <laughs> as someone who understands London but isn't British, yes. what do you think British tech can do to retain its position that it currently holds as a, as, a, as a kind of a hub for tech, that given the challenges that it, it's facing at the moment? That's a good question. I think one of the things that the, the government's been doing is pushing a lot more investment and a lot more priority in tech into the middle of the country. I think Manchester and Leeds are amazing tech centers. I think right. that you do have a lot of innovation there. I think Silicon Roundabout, the investment that they've made there, has attracted some new players. I think there is going to be uncertainty from an international standpoint until Brexit gets sorted out. But as a country, internally, I think that you have all of the tech centers. You've got the tech infrastructure you need. You've got the talent you need, absolutely. And it's about making the most of that. You say you've got the talent, absolutely. But obviously, we're talking what. So, so often we're talking about skills shortages and we're talking about apprenticeship programs yes. and organizations don't invest enough. Absolutely. But it's, 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 it's heartening to hear someone say you've absolutely got the talent, but why, why, why so strong in that conviction? I think you do when I think about our team in Manchester, Code Love. They are brilliant technologists. When I look at the technology that's coming out of Leeds, what you don't have is a major pool of engineers and tech talent within the heart of London. But at the same time, you also don't have tech industry in the part of London. It's fucking expensive. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I do feel like Britain's done a smart thing to create these tech hubs that are outside of London, that are more affordable, but still fantastic cities, great places to raise families, great places to have a good, fun life as a young person. But I think the rest of the UK needs to catch up with the fact that that's where they are and it's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Even though they're three hours north, it's still fine to have yeah. your team there. Yeah. And that is nearshoring as opposed to offshoring. And why wouldn't you do that? Now, look, obviously you're a speaker at, at the summit, but you must want to learn some stuff yourself coming here. What, what, what when you look through the schedule, do you pinpoint and go, you know what, I'm interested to see what that person or that organization has to say? That's a great question. Um, I think when I look through schedules here and anywhere else, I tend to gravitate towards the ones that are more sociology or people-led or UX-led. Because I think at the end of the day, as much as we know about technology, people are the greatest mystery. And we're only trying to use technology to help people solve problems. 
And so I'm always fascinated to learn more about people, and I've always liked to see the focus on the end consumer yep. at these conferences. Because if we hold what they want, what they're trying to achieve as the forefront of what we're trying to solve, technology falls into place. It makes the decisioning really, really easy. If we get too absorbed in the next new thing or what the technology is supposed to do, that's where we can misstep. I'm not saying anything's bad because we can always learn from mistakes, but it's much more interesting and more fun to use technology to solve a real problem than it is to build a piece of kit that is a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. Out of interesting, just on that theme, um, people often talk about Ooh, the dangers posed by AI. But I, I, when I talk to people, I, I see that AI seems to create a lot more time for technologists to get closer to users and to be more creative. Is that something you're seeing as well? Or? Absolutely. I mean, the use of machine learning has been quite revolutionary mm. in that we can train algos to be better, be better by themselves. But I think training is the key word. It's like you can't just let algos run loose and train themselves. AI is intelligence. Intelligence is, it's learning constantly. Mm. And you, it's still young right now. Yeah. And you wouldn't send your child to school and never attend a parent-teacher conference now, would you? It's like you can't send algos into the world and ignore them. Yeah, yeah. You have to be training them and have to be trained for a purpose. And you and it needs to understand what it is trying to achieve and that's where we get success. And that's where it makes sense. And it's actually what makes the algos better too, or it makes machine learning better, because there is an end objective. And that is what they're trying to achieve. And so they, it gets smarter, and it learns. It can try different variations. But it always knows what it's trying to achieve. It's always got that compass. And I think that's the most important thing. I think the biggest fear with AI is we fear that it'll go wild with no compass. At the end of the day, it's our responsibility as humans to give it that compass. Look, thank you for spending some time and meeting to have some cocktails. Thank you. Uh, I know you're speaking tomorrow, so I hope that goes well. Thank you. But yes, thank you. So look, um, apart from the fact that I was possibly a tad tipsy. Oh, so tell me about the snap platform. <laughs> That's my, my impression of you slightly tipsy. Thanks, mate. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I thought the interview was fascinating because it genuinely is on point with a, with a, with a bigger trend within the yep. market at the minute, which is that technology, I think technology was in the thrall of itself a couple of years ago. It was so, so infused with how clever it was around its own technology. But there is this shift that is happening where organizations and tech companies in particular, tech-driven companies, are realizing they have to become more customer-centric. And yep. with that is a maturing of their understanding of marketing. And for many organizations, many startups in particular, mm. you'll get to people who've never had anything to do with marketing before, yep. having to approach and tackle marketing for the first time. So yep. getting Deirdre's view yep. on that whole larger piece was really interesting. It's, it's, it's also really interesting. I mean, Deirdre kind of, you know, echoed, echoed the, the points we've made in the past about AI and machine learning, how it can take away these jobs. But the point she made was to get the, the technologists closer to the end user, closer to the customer. You know, you take away that inane task, process-driven stuff to get closer to the customer and appreciate and understand them. And I think that, as well as the marketing approach, well, that essentially feeds into the marketing approach to get closer to the end user. I think she's bang on there. Yeah. Now, um, well, one thing that when we're talking about what technologies are going to aid customer centricity, 
yeah. is often what, what's going to be the barriers to customer centricity, <laughs> what, right? What regulations are there around it? <laughs> well, not just that, but the, yeah. the physical, the physical technological yeah. barriers. Yeah. Um, I think it was great that she that she um, pointed to Snap as a wonderful example of an organisation that's embraced AR. Absolutely. In a way that we never really think about it. I mean, when we when we yeah. have that rainbow coming out of our, well, not me, but my wife has dog ears or whatever course, else course. on a Snapchat filter. Yeah, yeah. I don't have Snap. Um, no. She does. Um, then you don't really think about it being AR, AR rather, but it is. I mean, the first the first true instance of AR I experienced on my phone would have been Snapchat, but it was it was definitely Pokemon Go when that came out. Right. That that felt like I mean, I for me Snap feels more. I mean, I know it's AR, but it's more face recognition. It's more, I don't know. It's it's more of a laugh, right? And it actually is mental for me to say that Pokemon was less of a laugh but you're actually and there's a zombie game now as well but you actually it changes the whole world around you as well um, yeah and, and as she points out and what I was the point I was trying to make was that um, if you're going to get this higher level of, of AR mm. actually the barriers there right now mm. are probably around connectivity and uh, 5G yeah. Yeah. I think the world with 5G is going to become uh, an incredibly intense but interesting channel for us yeah. as consumers because immediately the marketing opportunities you know if you think about google lens yeah yeah, 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 yeah. right um google are approaching this this area again because if, if, if you hold your smartphone up to a street and all of a sudden it's going go to this shop offer this is the kind of thing you know um an extension of that you're online and a browser pops up with a yeah we know that you've just oh, it's bought so your winter so and scarves yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah to go with will happen to us in real time in the environment i mean that's that's cool but it's also worrying i mean why is it worrying i, I mean, it, I mean I, if you're walking down the street and you walk past the shop and it comes up and says there's a sale in there pops up on you the google and then great um, and i'm really excited i mean we had him on the show a while ago the guys that are looking at advertisement in vr Placements. and ar yeah yeah, yeah. Level yeah they were they were really cool but it just it is i mean it I, I, I check my phone. We check our phones 12 times every hour or whatever the, the stat was. And to have that as a, almost as a constant stream in your Google lens, a constant stream of your data being thrown back in your face, you know, the cookies that you want to see being thrown back in your face. Maybe it's too much or maybe it's, no, maybe it's brilliant. It is definitely brilliant, but maybe it's, I don't, I, wanna, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know whether it's too much. I think the problem is right now, because we're so tied to a screen, the screen... Yes, yes. As we said before on the show, disconnects you with the world around you. That is very true. If you can build it into uh, an offering um, where you're able to still interact with the world around you seamlessly, we're already bombarded with information when we're walking down the street. You walk past shops, they've got advertising in windows. You look at uh, menus as you pass a restaurant. There's loads of information that we can take in as we're walking around. This is just an extension of that in a more natural way than... Getting that device yep. out of your pocket every few and checking seconds. Checking it. Yeah, no, so, that, I mean it does make sense. I mean, I, I mean, I know, I know, Google Lens is is on a smartphone at the minute, but I think it'll be really interesting in the next couple of years if they manage to get five G and manage to break our reliance on screens at the same time. I mean, just on five G, we're yeah. still in we're still in places in London where you know your connectivity speed on Wi Fi is atrocious. You yep. them, and five five G could essentially supersede that get rid of all those slow internets that we're we're connecting up to and you just what do you just pay more to your phone tariff to use 5g run everything via 5g well like, look, i mean let's, let's that's hope, another issue there let's actually. hope the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the the internet itself yeah becomes a basic human right because if you're not if you're not online 
We had you yesterday. Are out of so many different yeah. services and opportunities. We had and there'll uh, be a real differentiate. It'll really exacerbate the the, the, the gap in, in wealth. We had at the uh, Future Skills event we were at mm. yesterday all about um, using the apprenticeship levy. And was it uh, Jack? I want to say Jack Parsons said seven million people in the UK are not connected to the internet. Yeah. It's 10%. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Especially when you consider the services that are online. Exactly. Or yeah. if you consider how cheap you can get a smartphone for now and be Relatively online. Relatively speaking, I think, I think that's one thing. Let's not lose sight of the fact that we are in a reasonably privileged position living in London with Very. salaries yeah. that actually yeah. many people aren't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can pick up a smartphone for 50 quid now. It will be crap. But that's still a lot. But it's, still a, it's, it's, it's a lot of money. It is still a lot of money, yeah. 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 So... I think, I think that can be forgotten about sometimes. We get, yeah. certainly in London, we can kind of go, oh, well, it's, it's available, isn't it? It's here, yeah, what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Go, go get yourself fun. And that's, that's part of the problem why we have such a political divide in the country, because people in the Westminster bubble have forgotten what it's like elsewhere. Exactly. Anyway. Well, that, do you know what? That kind of links nicely to the point I wanted to talk about that really made me laugh. Go on. And I don't know if it's meant to be funny, but using Leeds and Manchester as a near shore. Yeah, look, I, really, I, no, no, I, I want to talk about The validity about there is bang on. I just love that you call this a near shore. Well, I, what, I, what I really hoped to get was that... Um, I don't want to say outsider because she lived in London for a long time. Yes, yes, but you know, yeah, 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 like, I know what you mean. Someone who's not even British looking at the country as yeah. a whole from a slightly removed position. Yeah. And she, she says, I love the fact that she says that, hey, you've got lots of talent. And we're always saying, well, we haven't got the talent. And she said, no, no, no. The problem is, is that you guys need to take a step back mm -hmm. and look that you've got a, a bigger country than yeah. just London that Leeds and Manchester and Birmingham or Bristol or Liverpool or Newcastle or Belfast are, are great hubs. Yep. Sorry, completely forgot Scotland there. Um, are great hubs and they are affordable and fun if you're young. They're not they're, as fucking expensive as London, as she they're said. They're great to bring up <laughs> families and they're not as yeah. expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And she pointed out that the problem with London is, is the expense angle. And, yep. and actually maybe it doesn't have the pool of engineers that maybe some of these other cities do have on tap. And the point being, you can have your head office in London, you can have your devs, your coders sitting in Leeds, Manchester, wherever you want, and you can still be connected. You're three hours away if you want to meet up with them once a week, just an hour on some trains these days. Yeah, yeah. You can FaceTime, you can Skype all day long. I think a lot of people have become obsessed, especially within London, to get that talent local, to have it close by. Whereas we've heard over the last six months and, and more recently, you know, you can have talent pools across the world, and especially across the UK, and that's fine. And you will have cheaper resource that are doing an amazing job. And we, we often think, we, we get stuck in this trap of thinking that the North is very, very far away. Yes. We're a small island nation. Yeah. We're populous. Yeah. Um, but we've got wonderful infrastructure, really, actually, when we think about it. When you, and yeah, we've got yeah. wonderful proximity. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is right, but I wouldn't mind betting that the distance from London to New York is not all that different from the distance of New York to Los Angeles and San Francisco. I think it's very similar. I all think right. it's very, I think we, we, we flew out and it took six and a half hours. I think it's a five hour flight LA to New York. Yeah, and yeah. you're talking about coast to coast of yeah. one country yeah. there. Yeah. You know, you can walk from the coast, uh, coast to coast in this country in two days. Yeah, yeah you can. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you can get to John O'Groats in four, can't you? From Land's End, I think. We're not walking. No. Uh, <laughs> but no, like, I know it's at the narrowest point, but Carlisle to Newcastle is like 60 miles or something. That's Colchester to London. Yeah. 
this this country um one of its biggest opportunities is that we've got these hubs and these clusters that we know can benefit but they're actually really close to each other you, we, we forget how small a country like you say it is very densely populated our country well not very only in the south i guess <laughs> maybe only in london but it is like we did you right the talent of course the talent's here it's just it, it's hard if you don't want to move to london it's impossible to sell that idea so you're not yeah. going to move to london so let's put the buy into these hubs more and use it as a niche or inverted commas for your tech hubs broader thinking in a smaller space that's it yeah big fish little fish cardboard box <laughs> anyway let's go to our advert break uh, oh. but when we return we do have a piece of news for you Hi folks, Dave here. I wanted to let you know that we've teamed up with audible.co.uk and we're offering you a free audiobook. All you have to do is register for a one month free trial to claim your free audiobook, of which there are over 250,000 to choose from. It's a 30 day free trial. It means you can choose a free audiobook, which is yours to keep whether or not you decide to cancel that trial period or not. Free piece of advice, if you're gonna try an audiobook, go for Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods. Anyway, Sign up at www.audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks. Back to the show. Welcome back to Tech Talks. It is time for your twice weekly dose of news. I hope it's not their only news every week. A few bits out of someone relied just on us for news. It would. I'd be worried. <laughs> And today's article is taken from TechCrunch. Um, we, haven't, we haven't taken something from TechCrunch for a little while. Do you know why? Because the website is a nightmare. Yeah, no, to be fair, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's got some really good stuff on it. But, yeah. It's, yeah. but you literally click anywhere and you're onto the next article. What the fuck? Anyway, anyway sorry. UI, UX at TechCrunch <laughs> needs to be changed. They could do with talking to Deirdre and getting some better marketing. <laughs> yeah. Some, some content that makes sense for their, for their channel. Exactly. Um, here we go. So machine learning is everywhere now, including recruiting. Yeah. Right. Dave six years ago was worried about. CV Compiler is a new product by Andrew oh, Stetsenko. Thank you. And Alexandra Dorsey. Oh, very nice. Uh, <laughs> Probably <web> app, wrong. <laughs> the web app uses machine learning to analyze and repair your technical resume, allowing you to shine to recruiters at Google, Yahoo, and Facebook. Yeah, I mean, it's, it reminded me a lot of Textio, which I've spoken about before, which yeah. I think a lot of people will have heard of. Um, it's great. I mean, Again, at this in case event, someone hasn't heard of text, you know. it's, um, it helps you uh, write your, your CV. It will tell you if it's a male-centric word, a female-centric word, if it's going to appeal to male or men or women, if it's balanced, if you've used too many superlatives. It's a really good tool. And this is essentially very similar, I think. Um, but again, linking back to um, Jack Parsons saying that we need to train soft skills a lot more, stuff like CV compiler and Textio is fantastic for developing um, your, your CV, to, which isn't, I suppose, soft skills as such, but it's still that first step to getting you a new job or a job. I mean, they're talking about making recruiting s smarter, which is great. God knows it needs it. <laughs> Thanks. I, I think it's interesting when it talks about apparently 10 seconds is long enough for a recruiter to eliminate many candidates. Um, <laughs> it's because some people have got horrible unconscious biases. No, no, I, I, think, I think beyond that, actually, uh, there, there was, there's a bit of research done uh, by uh, My Vitae, which is uh, a 
company founded by Reham Sati, who I met a few months ago at a talk at Progressive. And they basically tracked the eye movements of recruiters to kind of basically develop a heat map for CVs. Wow. So not only how long a, a, is a recruiter looking at a CV, but where are they looking on that CV? Where do and, they look then? Yeah. I... Uh, well, typically it's it's name and the first paragraph, apparently, I think, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, but they, they said that most recruiters spend just six seconds looking at a wow. CV. Wow. Right? Six seconds? Six seconds. Here's a question. Go on. And you won't know the answer, it's I don't know the answer. Try me, Dave. Concept of Bebo. Familiar with it? Bias I remember in, Bebo. Out. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought you were talking about Bebo's in like before Facebook came along. No, 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 no. Uh, bias in, bias out. Bias in, bias out. Okay, right. yep. The CV compiler is designed exclusively for tech professionals. It scans for keywords in the world of programming, how they are using a resume, and then suggests how best to use it. Mm -hmm. The majority of, of the CVs it will be scanning are written by men. Sure. It's focused on keywords. Sure. It's suggesting, therefore, that lots of keywords are the best way of going for it. Yeah. Um, is that inherently um, reinforcing a male dominant language? Dominant yeah, language yeah, yeah. trope. I think so. Um, I, mean, I mean, I've got. A, I've not, got... not to pick on these guys. No, but no, I just, no, I just no, wonder no. where you've got machine learning. Yeah. And you're getting it to basically learn based on 85% probably male CVs where keywords and hard skills yeah. are at the core of whether or not it judges a CV to be good or not. Have they thought about bias? And let's not forget, men lie a lot more in their CVs than women do, statistically. <laughs> yeah. They do, they do. So, I mean, this is so important, this piece, on like what information is being fed into it. And you need to ensure, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know the keywords, but I do. what I do know is that there are certain words that appeal to men and women. Now, I have a massive problem with that um, and with the science behind Textio and um, some other ones, Grammar Decoded is another one, just on the fact that it says women are more likely to be appealed by words such as welcoming and maternal, motherly, you know, warm words like that. And I don't agree with that. I know some women that don't give a shit if it's welcoming environment or not, or the word says that it's a welcoming place. They're going there to do a job. You know, yep. they're not thinking as a mother, not all women think like that. So I think for me, if it is male-centric words going in there, I don't think it's as big as an issue as we immediately think, because I don't think women are as off-put as we make them out to be by language. But what is important is that we get to a place where the key words that's going into it are being used by both men and women, which comes at a step before that, which goes back to education and how you educate people on tech and stuff like that, and language. Yeah, yeah. But I do think that we need to stop thinking like, oh, is that going to appeal to a woman or a man? And start thinking, who's it? Is it going to appeal to someone? It needs to be inclusive. Mm. That's kind of the way I'm going with language at the moment. Bit of a brain teaser. Go on. Well, it's philosophical. It's, it's philosophical, isn't <laughs> Go on. it? Yeah. Well, it is, no, it no, no, is, no, no. Yeah. I don't have anything to add. Oh, I'm just yeah, saying yeah. this is. It is. It's kind of like it's a not ongoing cycle, you know. Especially with when you throw machine learning into it. It's going to give you great results, but it depends on what results is being fed into it. We hmm. talked about the, the psychopath on Reddit that went to the deep, dark corners on Reddit and became a psychopath from the content. Which there are many. Oh, there's fucking hundreds. Believe me, I've, I've found some. Um, but um, it's, it is an ongoing cycle. And until we get to a place where language is more universal, I guess, more inclusive across the board, then yep. things like CV compiler and Textio I think it's still a lagging behind a little bit. You know what, that just made me think of something that Jack Parsons said yesterday yeah. to finish on. Uh, he said that you know you, you tend to take on the habits or the traits of the people that you hang around with. 
AI, oh, AI. I hang around with you so much. AI is hanging around with the wrong people. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That is such a good point. It's it not really just is. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, look, thank you for joining us for today's show. Yeah. If you are American, we hope you've enjoyed your turkey. Uh, and if you're in East London tonight, if you're in East London, well, yeah, they're going to be listening to this possibly this afternoon. Get you know, down now. In a now. matter of hours. Yeah, get down there get now. Get to Plexel <laughs> yeah. uh, and join us at Startups Mag. Here uh, East. Who we'll have be there. their fourth edition launch party there tonight. And I will be spouting the same kind of stuff that we've just said on this on the panel. So I suppose it'll be like a repeat for you. I've never heard anyone <laughs> say spouting and then not say bullshit afterwards. I was really worried. About, I'm on the panel just spouting bullshit. I was like, you go, Dave. <laughs> I hope not. As prepared as ever. <laughs> like, what the hell is that guy doing on the panel? Anyway, um, <laughs> enjoy your Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening. Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>